you have to be passionate about it and you can't be thinking about what's for, what's in it for me at the end. It's just put all you got into it and your, your reward will come at some point. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, welcome to episode 115. Today, we're talking about buying a manufacturing company with no experience. Now, before we dive in, people sometimes ask me how I go about selecting guests for this show. And the answer really to that is it varies. In general, I'm looking for leaders that have a great story and some excellent advice to share that will be valuable to manufacturers. But beyond that, I think today's guest is a great opportunity to share a concrete story of how this interview came about. So I get a LinkedIn message from my buddy, Eddie Saunders, who has appeared on the show before, episode 81, for anyone that wants to check that out. And he was like, hey, Chris, I've got this guest that if you have time, you probably want to interview. So yeah, part one to this is having a strong referral from a past guest. That certainly helps. Anyway, I go look up this guest and I find this article about him from an industry publication. It was titled, How One Millennial Entrepreneur Gambled with No Fabrication Experience. So obviously there's got to be a good story here. And that is how today's episode came about. Our guest this week is Cody Lee, the new president and owner of Everyday Technologies. This company serves equipment manufacturers providing metal fabrication, stamping, and wire assemblies for both prototypes and first runs, as well as high-volume production. Today, we're going to hear Cody's story. Here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we'll hear what Cody was doing prior to purchasing Everyday Technologies and the experiences that led up to him buying the company in 2021. Second, we'll learn what it's been like after the purchase, how Cody and the team have prioritized projects, and we'll actually get into some details around their journey of implementing a modern ERP system and what Cody is hoping to accomplish with the new system. Finally, and really I should say throughout this episode, Cody is going to share what he's learned from this experience. So whether you're buying a company, leading a team, or simply learning and mastering your own craft, you're going to get something out of this episode. As always, if you want to learn more, you can do that over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 115. And if you want to continue this conversation, if you want to take part in discussions like this online, well, hey, you should be in the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over on LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturing manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community that'll take you straight to the LinkedIn page and our group of over 600 manufacturing leaders is constantly having conversations like this and constantly trying to help one another in our careers with that I think it's time to jump on in let's go meet up with Cody Lee Okay, Cody, so let's say you and I are hanging out right now in Sydney, Ohio, or the Dayton area over there on, on the west side of the state. What's a pub or a brewery or a bar where we'd be having this conversation right now? Tell us a bit about this place. So if you would have asked me that three, four years ago, I probably wouldn't have a good answer, mainly because in Sydney, Ohio, we didn't have any options. But uh, I would say we'd probably go to a place called uh, Murphy's Pub in uh downtown Sydney. So that was, uh, that's, I don't know, it opened probably two years ago. I think it was right before COVID and they've got 58 craft brews on tap. 
So for a long time, I was, I was into, you know, the IPAs and kind of going down that journey and got to the point where I could only enjoy a triple IPA and anything below that wasn't really, uh, you know, satisfying the, the taste buds, but, uh, we'd probably go there. Um, they got a good selection of different cocktails and craft brews. So that's probably where we would start. So let's say we're sitting there at Murphy's, we're drinking IPAs. I feel like your story, Cody, has like a, I'm going to tell this story at a bar written all over it, right? <laughs> like it, it, it seems like a little bit of a, a recent epic journey. So I have to ask, before purchasing Everyday Technologies in 2021, would you say it's safe to say that you had the entrepreneurial niche that you knew this was kind of something you wanted to do someday? I'm interested to hear about that background a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my wife could probably speak to that better than I because it's something I've always bugged her about. But uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, I was always kind of intrigued by, I guess, just things in general. Like I was that kid that was took an old computer and cracked it open to see what the inside of it looked like. And then as, can I, as I got older, I was always known as the, the guy that was watching like how it's made or on YouTube, just watching stuff like from a manufacturing process or just how things are done. So I've always kind of had that curiosity wasn't probably until I realized in early college that I wanted to go into business for myself in some way, but I always struggled with what that really meant. I always was under the impression that you had to invent something to start a business, right? And I think a lot of people get hung up on that. So for a long time, I just, I knew I wanted to do it. I just didn't know what that looked like. And a lot of, I guess the, I guess where it kind of clicked for me is, so my wife's father, my father-in-law, he owned and operated and started a business um, that he ran for about 30 years with his brother. And so, you know, kind of growing my relationship with him and, and my wife's family, learning more about their journey, it became more, I guess, evident to me about how these things work. And so, you know, after college, it was just like, all right, you know, any job I have, I just got to take it for what it is, learn as much as I can. But if there's a means to an end here, I just never knew what that timeline was. So it wasn't until about 2020 when, you know, I kind of sat down with myself and said, it's, it, I'm either going to go down this path or I'm going to go down this path and I need to choose one. And at the time we were having my second daughter, I've got three kids, three daughters, we were having my second daughter and I told my wife that she's just like, are you serious? Like just about to have another baby. Like we've got enough crazy things going on. So, uh, she ended up, uh, turning around very quick and then, uh, you know, the rest is history on that one. Yeah. I, I had heard that your father-in-law had done something similar to what you had done in, in one of the articles I was reading. I, I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later, but first Tell me a bit more about the journey into everyday technologies. You were working at a general contractor that was doing work for the company before you bought it, right? We're talking years before it, correct? Yeah, I worked for uh, a place called Ferguson Construction. They were a, uh, a large, uh, a medium to large general contractor in, in Sydney uh, with multiple offices kind of throughout Ohio and Indiana. Uh, and their bread and butter was really doing, you know, new office additions, uh, warehouse expansions, manufacturing expansions. Uh, for manufacturing businesses. That was kind of their niche uh, for a lot of years. And so, you know, in my time there, my role was a business development rep. So essentially what I would be doing is getting in front of uh, owners um, or decision makers at businesses and, you know, talk to them about what, what it is they're looking after. You know, hey, we need 40,000 square feet of warehouse space because of this reason, or, you know, we just uh, got awarded new work and we got to add a new manufacturing line, whatever it may be. So, you know, I was going out to these places, touring their facilities, 
meeting with subcontractors and just learning about their process. So that's, that's really how I came to be more involved in the manufacturing space. Uh, and then I think it was 2017, I'd been at Ferguson for a little over a year and, uh, everyday technologies did a 40,000 square foot expansion to their building here in Sydney. So that was kind of my first taste of everyday really kind of understand what they do. Um, so, you know, I got involved, met the owners, didn't really, you know, didn't say, Hey, I'm going to buy you guys in a couple of years, but, uh, you know, they were on my radar, so to speak. So yeah, it was kind of my involvement there. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, was there a moment because you mentioned right at the start of the interview, you initially thought starting a business meant you had to invent something, mm -hmm. but in the case of everyday technologies, you bought a legacy business and now you're kind of bringing it into the 21st century. Was there a moment during that process or that time period where it finally clicked and said, you know what, this is the company that I'm going to buy. Uh, yeah. I mean, so go back to that time, um, early 2020, late 2019 when I kind of made that decision, like, all right, I'm gonna go down this road or the other. Uh, again, I kind of found myself in the position like, well, what does this look like? What kind of business do I want to run? Cause at that time I had realized, you know, I could buy something. I think at the time, actually my father-in-law, so he had retired, uh, sold his business five or six, seven years ago. Uh, and you know, he was, he's got a really strong network in the community, other folks that are looking to do something like I did. And he was talking with a group of guys that were looking at buying a plastic injection molding company. And, you know, I'd heard about that and, you know, I kind of looked at him and said, man, what the hell? Like, you know, I want to do that. Why, why aren't we talking about this? And, you know, he was early in the game. So, I mean, I'm sure he would have brought it up eventually, but, you know, I kind of realized that, you know, I can go find a manufacturing company in Sydney, Ohio or in the area and, you know, go from there. Uh, so it wasn't that I was after a specific, you know, sheet metal fabrication or plastic injection molding or whatever it may be. It was just kind of like, I'm going to go out there and look and whatever opportunity presents itself, I'll, I'll try to run with it. You've mentioned your father-in-law a couple times, and, and on this show, we like learning from the folks that are here, things that they can leverage in their own careers as manufacturing leaders. Is there a lesson in this entrepreneurial journey of yours that you can say that you learned from your father-in-law, or what's one of the best things you learned from that individual, having gotten to you know not only get to know him from a business standpoint, but also on a personal level as well? That's a great question. Um, there's hundreds of, of things that I've taken away from him, uh, certainly more in the last year, probably than ever. I, you know, the one thing he always talks about is, and what's interesting about his story. In fact, I'm so passionate about his story because I think it's so cool that, um, a year or two ago, I actually got him hooked up with another, uh, podcast that I'd listened to that talks about entrepreneur stories, uh, just cause I, I always get to pick his brain, but it's like picking up a book and just picking a random chapter. <laughs> And so I was like, I want to hear this thing end to end. And I want others to be able to hear it too. Cause I think it's so fascinating. And, uh, so I got him to do that. But one of the things that's interesting is over his 30 year career, you know, the first 20, 25 years was just hard work. It was long hours and it was just go, 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 go. Um, it was never about, okay, I want to sell at this point. So I got to work and do these things. And so I'm always fascinated to hear that it kind of all boils down to that, that hard work. And it's, it's very true. Uh, and it doesn't take someone to be an entrepreneur or a business owner to, to know that I have a lot of pride in, in my, my dad. Um, cause I know how hard he works and he's got that same attitude that, you know, you kind of do what it takes. I, I probably go back to that a lot. Like I said, there's countless things specifically on my father-in-law from a business standpoint that I learn all the time, but it's, 
it's, you have to be passionate about it and you can't be thinking about what's for, what's in it for me at the end. It's just put all you got into it and your, your reward will come at some point. I love the lesson. I also love the idea that it's like picking up a book and opening it to a random chapter, right? Yeah. When you have access to someone like that, you can learn a lot, but it's not necessarily in like the story chronological order. But today you're on a podcast and we get to hear your story in a bit of a chronological order as we've been doing so far, which brings me kind of to the point where it's like, hey, let's talk about the business, what it was like buying everyday technologies. So describe what everyday technologies was like when you first bought it as an operation, how it functioned, let's say the state that you found it in. Sure. I guess to kind of back up or to give some context here, everyday technologies is a uh, contract manufacturer in generally the, the metal fabrication industry. Um, so our kind of our breadth of capabilities ranges anything from, you know, traditional fabrication where you bling a, a part out on a laser, you form it on a press break, you, uh, weld it and fabricate it, and then, you know, either paint it or, you know, there's some assembly involved and ship it to a customer. And then we actually have a, another facility about 25 minutes north of our uh, Sydney location where we do more high volume type of work. So there we've got about 10 stamping presses, um, as well as some turret presses. Uh, we form on press breaks there as well. We do some spot welding, some light assembly. Um, so that's kind of the, the overall breadth of what it is that we do. So when I, when I came to everyday technologies in 2021, the business as I found it was, it was a healthy business. You know, the owners weren't looking to exit because, you know, they were in difficult times, although they were coming out of the pandemic, but, uh, they were rebounding fairly quick. Uh, but the business had been relatively stagnant in terms of top line or growth. Uh, for the last six or seven years. And it wasn't a result of the product that they were able to produce. It was more of a, a result of just kind of the point in the careers for the, the two owners. It was two brothers that had owned the business for the last 20 plus years, you know, both in their mid sixties, you know, they just, they weren't putting a whole, putting a whole lot of emphasis on growing. And so, you know, it was a very foundational, you know, sound business, um, but just didn't have a whole lot of energy in it, you know, kind of just been doing a lot of the same things for year after year after year. If you would look at their P&L over the last six or seven years, it was almost shocking how consistent it was year over year over year with maybe the exception of uh, 2020. But uh, yeah, that was, that was more or less the condition I was in. So when you took the reins, so to speak, because I know you've made some upgrades, not only on, let's say, the pure manufacturing side, on the back end as well there. We'll talk about that in a second. Did you just dive right in or did you put together a plan three year, five year, whatever it might be and identified some of the areas where it's like, hey, I think we can make the biggest impact here. What did you do to assess the situation and start putting together a plan? No, I mean, I'd like to sit here and say I had this nice three or five year strategy with all these, you know, everything thought out and this is what we're going to do. You know, I had some idea of the things that I wanted to do, obviously. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, I want to grow, but how you actually do that and execute, it's a whole different story. No, I mean, I came in here. What was interesting is whenever I bought the business, like I had mentioned, we were coming off the pandemic. Um, so I, we started, I, I believe I gave them a letter of intent uh, to buy the business. And man, it was right before COVID hit. So say February, March of 2020. And so we came to an agreement fundamentally on, on those uh, items. And then sure enough, COVID hits, right? And then no one knows what's going on. And so I would say 
almost a year went by before we really started diving into the diligence phase with their, with the account accountants and uh, attorneys. And so, um, you know, we go through that and this whole time I'm learning more about business and, you know, more intrigued than anything. Cause I just want to get in there and, you know, you see something on a piece of paper, you're like, I want to go see what this means live and in action. And so it was hard to kind of sit on the sidelines for that long. Uh, but once we got through that, um, we finally closed, um, in, uh, August of 2021. Uh, but the owners were, uh, nice enough to allow me to actually come into the business prior to fish officially closing. So I think it was April of 2021. I actually came in as an employee. They kind of hired me under this title of lean director, which is kind of a vague title. Um, and so, you know, my objective there was just to kind of come in and just kind of dive in and understand the business, kind of interact with the people. We, at that time, we didn't officially announce that, Hey, this guy's buying it. Um, but some of the key staff and management did know that. And so, you know, you got to really understand what it is that, you know, what we do well, what we don't do well, what the challenges are going to be. And then, like I said, we closed in August of 2021. And and from there, you know, it was kind of officially became mine, right? So all these problems or any challenges that I saw those last couple of months were all of a sudden my problems to do something about. And, uh, so I sat down with our management team that uh, already existed here. And I said, you know, what, what are the, what are going to be the constraints of the bottlenecks that are going to get in our way of being able to take this thing where I want to take it. Uh, and there was, there was a couple of obvious ones, um, mainly from a, a capital equipment standpoint. So, um, lasers are obviously a big key part of the operation here. So they had some tired lasers, um, three CO twos that had been around for quite a while. In fact, our, our oldest Trump laser was 20 years old. Uh, and I think it had about 180,000 hours on the resonator, which, um, is absolutely insane. Anytime I tell somebody that that's kind of in the industry, they're just mind blown. The thing should have not existed. And, uh, but, but it did run, uh, although it'd be slow and break down occasionally. So that was one area that they, they had mentioned, um, our paint line capacity. So we had a, again, another tired piece of equipment that we, um, housed in a, a leased building, downtown Sydney, it was an automated paint line been around for a long time. Um, so that was another area that they suggested needed, uh, needed addressed. Uh, and then, um, probably the, the last biggest thing was the, uh, ERP system that we have. So we, we have kind of a antiquated, uh, old ERP that does some basic things, but in terms of the amount of manual man hours that go into somebody keeping a spreadsheet for this or manually having to schedule something this way. I mean, it just, I knew that that was going to be critical to the business as we look to grow, because that's what we're going to be about. And any problem we have today is only going to compound as we grow the business. So those were the three things that were kind of introduced to me by the management team and were in some cases obvious that needed to be addressed before we kind of took off and, and tried to grow. Yeah. So it sounds like you had kind of a six month overlap window there where you got to learn what the key problems were, see them for yourself. If I'm hearing you right, you're talking about overworked, overused lasers, yeah. paint line upgrades, as well as the ERP system. You know, two, two, two of those I look at being, let's, let's say mechanical equipment type topics. The other being around a topic that comes up on this show a lot being digital transformation. Yeah. And and I, I have to ask you a little bit about this because coincidentally, when I was 
doing some research, I found out that um, a past guest on this show, uh, Jerry Foster from Plex, uh, their CTO, episode 92 for anyone out there listening, that was the system you were leveraging. And I just thought it was so fascinating that you were diving in to an ERP upgrade right away because the reality is in the grand scheme of things, you haven't owned this business that long. And yeah. I feel like the nature of that type of upgrade is a very lengthy process. But how, how did you go about diving into that so quickly? And I know you're still on this journey, but yeah. how do you go about doing that? Because I think a lot of manufacturers get held up in that area. Yeah. Um, well, I think I told you before the interview is probably just me being naive, um, <laughs> or as the old guys would say, young and dumb. But um, I mean, 2022 for us has been kind of what I like to call the year of distraction. Right, because we've got uh, we've got this new laser that's finally installed, but took a long time to get there. Um, this new paint line was a pretty intense project, um, and then we're actually also doing a an office addition on the front of our building. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see a picture of that, but uh, really, really cool modern uh, new office space for for us. Um, and then you know we, I don't know, maybe four months ago pulled the trigger on the um, on the on the Plex ERP. And so we got all these irons in the fire and it's just, it's, while it's really great and it's like, everyone kind of says, man, this is exactly what we needed. That's a lot of things to do at one time uh, and can be, you know, a little distracting at times. So if I had to do it over, I'd probably stagger it out a little bit, but um, I'm naturally a very impatient person. So if I see a problem, I'm just like, let's fix it now. Like, let's get the solution yesterday. Um, that probably annoys some people, but that's just the way that I, I am. And, uh, so as far as, uh, kind of making the decision to pull the trigger on Plex, um, whatever, so some of the management here had kind of done some research on their own, maybe kind of even presented or, uh, uh, gave a proposal to the existing owners or the previous owner, sorry, um, of, you know, Hey, we ought to look at investing something like this. You know, here's some of the challenges we have today currently with our ERP. This is what this solves, so on and so forth. So they kind of had a short list of things they, of ERPs that they had on their mind. Plex was one of them. There was one or two more that were kind of on the, on the table. And so we went through a diligence phase where we, you know, we talked to Plex, uh, and one or two others, and they kind of came to our facility. They talked to us about what our challenges are and kind of did some demos of, you know, these are the things that Plex are able to do for us on and so forth. A lot of it we knew existed. We just, you know, manufacturers have been doing these things for years. Um, but, uh, so Plex, it just ultimately came down to, um, uh, I guess it's, it's, I guess it's user interface and the things that it does from a, a management a tool standpoint that really intrigued us. Um, and it's, you know, it's basic things, you know, it's kind of funny if I, when I talk to other people, some of the stuff we're looking to get is just like kind of what I consider like business fundamentals 101 that we don't have today. Um, for example, you know, um, capacity planning, you know, today we don't really have a true understanding of what capacity we have. Um, and that's mainly stemmed from because, uh, you know, the previous ownership didn't have an emphasis on job costing. So in other words, if when you quote a part and you say, okay, it's going to be X amount of time for laser, X amount of time for form and, and well, you know, when you build that quote, you like to find a standard that will then get released to the plant. And then that standard kind of becomes the capacity that you'd be taking away from what exists. And that's how you schedule and that's how you demand plan and all that stuff. None of that existed. All we did from an ERP standpoint was we would get a job to the area, you do the work, 
you'd clock it in, clock it out. And all that would do is tell the system that, hey, this is no longer at form. It's now sitting in well. So from a drop tracking standpoint, that works great, but you have no idea how to compare standards versus actuals and you have no variance in terms of how you're managing your business. You don't know what makes you money, what you lose money at, so on and so forth. So those are all critical things that in order to scale the business, we've got to know that. And so that was pretty important to us. So, you know, in this world of Plex, you know, we plan on going live sometime early spring, 2023. It's going to be really exciting because, um, you know, we're going to live in this world where everything gets barcoded, you know, raw material comes in, it gets serialized, it goes into inventory. You consume it out of inventory, you scan it, and then it goes through each process. Each process is creating a barcode, scanning it, so on and so forth. So you've got perpetual inventory that's always live. You're never worried about physical counts every month and how that affects your P&L from a cost of goods standpoint and all that stuff. I mean, all these things that we struggle with today virtually disappear. But, uh, you know, we're not naive to think that come March, 2023, that just goes away. I mean, I, we always talk about, we won't really start to see the benefit of Plex probably until this time next year. Once sure. we have to live with it for six, seven, eight months, you know, folks get, um, get comfortable with it. The data starts to become more solid, so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're really excited. It's going to be I, the laser, the pain line, that's all been great stuff, but I really think this is going to be a big difference for our business. I think there's a lot of great things you brought up there and in that answer. The first thing was, hey, there's a lot of value to being young and just being like, let's move on it, right? Rather right. than having any naysaying in the background or just being like, hey, let's let's get it done. We got to do it. Right. Uh, and, and I think a lot of, let's say, ERP initiatives, Industry 4.0, a digital transformation, whatever you want to call them, a lot of them do start at basic things. I don't think you're alone in this world, particularly in our world of American manufacturing, where there are a lot of general updates that need to be done. And it's funny that capacity planning seems to be the thing I hear about most that motivates a digitization effort like the one you're going through right now. So a lot of great stuff there. I'm excited to see how things play out. I'm curious to dive into maybe some other lessons you've learned while you've been running everyday technologies. And one thing I, I think you were aware, of, well, I know you were aware of going into this, right? Manufacturing has a workforce challenge, right? Everyone on this show has heard that a thousand times as well. But uh, were there any unexpected, uh, unexpected challenges you encountered when you bought the company, things that surprised you right out of the gate? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you got all the standard ones, right? Like workforce challenges and equipment breaking down and all that stuff and taking care of the customer. I mean, it's all kind of stuff you would expect, but, uh, I guess, uh, you know, being young, so I'm 30 years old, I'll be 31 here in a couple months, but, um, you know, you think I'm gonna go run a business, right? And everyone says, you know, I want to be a business owner and that's, that's all great and, and everything, but there's, there's things behind the scenes that you don't realize you have to constantly keep an eye on. And quite frankly, you have to learn. And so for me, I guess one of the unexpected things was, uh, managing the financial aspect of the business. Um, so, you know, whenever we bought the business, uh, you know, we primarily run through a line of credit, right? That's what kind of funds the working capital needs of the business. And so, you know, when I bought the business, um, our terms were not favorable to everyday technologies to say the least, um, both from, a from how we paid our vendors to how we accepted money from our, from our customers. And really that was just a function of the previous ownership, you know, being 
long in their career, having a lot of cash on hand, um, and I guess comfortable with the fact that, you know, their receivables were tied up in these large respected OEMs that, you know, were paying their bills consistently. Um, but whenever you are, whenever you're financed through debt, right, you've got a different fire in your belly that says, you know, we got to get this changed, right? Because my cash conversion is taking entirely too long. So I don't know, it was probably, it was probably five, six months into running the business. I noticed our checking account got really tight <laughs> and I was thinking, what the hell is going on? How could we possibly be running out of money? Um, I just started, I couldn't have failed that quick. <laughs> and, uh, and so I got a, you know, kind of a lesson 101 on how working capital and cash flow works. And so one of the initiatives that I had for myself was, you know, talking with our customers and talking with our vendors to say, Hey, you know, this is the, this is a different everyday technologies than existed a year or two ago. Um, we do have debt and we are trying to go grow. And those are two things that require money. And so, you know, we were able to get our, our payment terms aligned with our customers, certainly in a much better position today. Um, and again, that was all about, you know, them kind of seeing us, the transition goes smooth and taking care of them. So they were willing to kind of do us a favor on that side. Uh, and then talking to our vendors to say, Hey, we're, we're trying to grow, which means more business for you guys. And the best way you can support us is giving us better terms, um, to a, be aligned with how our customers terms are and B, um, allow us to have more cash on hand to be able to fund this growth so that, you know, we buy more material, material from you guys. So, uh, that was something I didn't go into thinking, yeah, you're going to get a lesson on working capital and cash flow right away, but it's just uh, a necessary evil of running business. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You you and I run slightly different businesses. Mine's more of a lifestyle businesses. I didn't need to take out a loan to start turning manufacturing happy hour into a business. But uh, it, it's amazing how you can read every business and finance book out there. But the only time you seem to really learn the lesson about working capital and cash flow is when you start seeing that bank account get pretty low for yeah, the yeah, first you time. Yeah, yourself to learn there. And there's no, <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, I'm just like most people. You you can find most answers on Google, right? But that's one you just can't. And because it's different from every business, right? I mean, there's, there's fundamental accounting that'll tell you this is how it's supposed to work. But every business is ran different. Every business has different cash needs. And uh, yeah, from a finance standpoint, I've had to put the accountant hat on. I've since hired a controller. Sure. Um, that, doesn't, that didn't exist in the past because I don't think my value to the everyday technologies is, uh, is going to be in the accounting realm. But, uh, but yeah, so... I got that figured out and, uh, it continues to be something I have to monitor, obviously, but, uh, I feel more comfortable and seasoned, I guess now than I did back then. <laughs> That's, uh, you just, you just popped a question into my mind, right? I think it's extremely valuable to know, Hey, what you need to outsource and what you need to do yourself. Um, right. Cause there are plenty of things I use contractors for, um, that I sub out like my podcast production. What would you say on the flip side of that? What's your unique strength? What's the thing that Cody brings to the table that you need to be the person that you, you feel is a, a unique skill of yours? Um, I, I would probably have to say, uh, the ability to ask the right questions. And I think that just comes back to my, um, I guess, natural curiosity of stuff. So, you know, one of the things that, again, I've learned through my father-in-law business is, you know, a, you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room, right? If you're the smartest guy in the room, then you're doing something wrong. So being able to identify who those people are and leverage their skill set is how you grow a business. 
And so you need to, you don't need to be an expert in every discipline of your business. You need to be able to hire that talent and then be able to ask the right questions. Um, so, you know, I, I question everything, you know, especially with a business that's been around for nearly a hundred years, uh, and under the, the previous regime for 20 years, there's been things that have just been done over and over and over again. Um, and I'm here to question that. Um, and that's, that applies to all facets of the business from production to financials to, um, to everything. And so I think my ability to, to, to challenge and question people and just ask questions and make them think a different way tends to be what I'd bring to the table the most. I'm never the smartest guy in the room, but, uh, I think, uh, I have a knack for being able to get the best out of people. You know, hopefully I find that to be true over the next 30 years, but that's how I feel. I, I feel like I hear now that I'm in my thirties as well, as I look back on my career, I think one of the the most important pieces of advice I've heard from experienced executives is one of the best things you can do, like you said, is being able to ask the right questions. If mm -hmm. you can do that and drill down into the real issue, whether it's a technical issue, whether it's a people issue, I, I completely agree. That's where you can unlock a lot of potential and really help different, differentiate businesses. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of differentiating businesses, I'm interested to hear what you're doing for the Everyday Technologies brand as well. You mentioned you're doing an office upgrade. I'm sure there's an element of brand around that. Yep. Can, can you tell us a bit about what that looks like right now and what you want people to think of when Everyday Technologies comes up in a conversation? Yeah. Um, I, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I live in Sydney now for probably close to eight or 10 years. Um, and then I, you know, I grew up, uh, the town down in, uh, Pickle, Ohio. Um, I've never heard of everyday technologies ever. Um, and that's maybe a, not a bad thing because of, you know, I guess no, uh, no bad news is good news, but, uh. But yeah, just they've never really been on the map, right? I've never heard someone say, "Yeah, my so and so works here," or "This company's really doing things," or or whatever. Um, and so I want to definitely change that, um, not just in the the marketplace in which we you know we serve, but uh, in our community as well. I feel very strong that you know a business is you know the direct result of its people, and in order to have good people, people have to know about you, and they want to want to work for you. And so, you know, LinkedIn's been a great tool for, for me, uh, to kind of share some of the things that we're doing for everyday technologies. You know, a lot of our customers, you know, are active on there. Um, so, you know, it's nice to get a message from them to say, Hey, I saw the paint lines up and running. That's exciting or, or whatever it may be. But, uh, even just on Facebook tends to be kind of a, a better way to interact with potential new employees because they see the things that are going on. Right. So sharing updates on the new office or, you know, new equipment, just to say, Hey, this company's doing something. Um, I want them to know that the, the owner is, is young and is trying to, to grow and, and, you know, better the lives of, of the people that are inside these walls and, and all those great things. So I, you know, getting the brand, uh, the young, um, I guess, uh, a young flavor to it, if you will. Versus just kind of, yeah, that building's always been there in Sydney, Ohio. No one really knows what's going on. That's really kind of the approach that I'm taking with it. So I'm learning as I go. As I, go. I, have, I graduated from the University of Cincinnati with a marketing degree. And I never really felt that I was a marketer. You know, I was never going to be that person that was in a, you know, in a, a big building in downtown Cincinnati that was doing marketing initiatives and campaigns. And, you know, was really good with like Photoshop and 
could take good pictures and all that stuff. I just never really felt fit that mold, but I could always appreciate good marketing, you know? Um, so I want to try to, you know, bring some of that into, uh, every day. Well, I think you brought up a super important marketing lesson. You're just talking about sharing the story and what you're doing on LinkedIn. I think it's cool that you bring up Facebook as well, right? Our industry certainly has a bias towards LinkedIn, but that doesn't mean there are other spots that you can't share the story and hit your target audience like yeah. you do in there. So it sounds like you pulled the right marketing lessons there as uh, as the leader of a company now. Appreciate so. that. What's uh? What's the we're we're getting to the end here. So, what does the future look like for everyday technologies? What are your aspirations? Yeah, I mean, I obviously, I mean, everything's centered around growing the business. Um, so you know, when you look out, I'm, we're actually in the in the middle of putting together kind of a strategic plan, um, kind of a short term strategic plan for 2023. You know, we kind of think about what some of the low hanging fruit that exists around us to kind of focus our efforts into the next year and take advantage of all this distraction that's happened in the last, uh, the last year with new equipment and new people and ERP and all that stuff, um, is really leveraging, um, all those investments to get the biggest return that we can get, um, provide the most value for our customers. So I would say, you know, in the next five, 10 years, my hope is to triple and quadruple the, the size of the company in terms of top line. I would love to be able to build a brand new campus, you know, of, of everyday technologies, brand new building and bring all of our capabilities into one and, uh, just keep trying to, to leverage, uh, the things that we do well, um, hire more people, the best people, all those great things. So it's not going to be easy. This, this past year has definitely proved that, but, uh, I love that I have the ability to come out here every day and, and continue to try to do those things. It's, it's pretty rewarding as much as it's stressful. I'm sure I'll have gray hair, gray hair in the next couple of years, but, uh, I'll be all right. You know, you actually just reminded me of a question that popped in my mind earlier that I forgot, but I've got to get one more piece of advice for the manufacturing leaders out there. And that's, you mentioned it's been a year of distraction, right? New ERP, new equipment. How do you lead and focus on the day-to-day -day business amidst all the distractions, right? To ensure that even in, like, even in the meantime, let's say that you're still maintaining business or growing business at the same yeah. time. It's definitely about, um, accountability. Um, that's something that I'm a big believer in. You know, it's, it's not to say accountability didn't exist inside of everyday technologies, but it wasn't really ingrained in the culture. So that's something that we're, we're trying to to kind of infuse, if you will, I guess, into the culture, because if you have the right people in the right seats, clear expectations and hold them accountable, um, to themselves and the, and the folks around them, you can get anything done. And just because there's a new paint line or there's a new, uh, laser being installed, doesn't distract from the core mission of what we're trying to do, which at the end of the day is just take care of our customers, right? Without them, there would be no growing, there'd be no revenue, there'd be nothing. So. It's not to say every day is easy to do that. Every day there's a different challenge of, you know, why'd this happen and how are we going to fix it? Um, but it's about just getting people in the right seats and, and spreading that, spreading that responsibility into the right areas so that not one or two or three people are kind of what's holding the whole thing together. Because if that's the case and you bring on a big project or multiple big projects and they're involved, things will eventually come unglued. Yeah, I think I'm I'm glad I saved that question for the end. That was a powerful piece to to wrap with around, hey, if you get the right people in the right seats, if you have accountability, you can get anything done. Yeah. So, well, you're you're a listener 
of this podcast. So you probably know this last question is coming. Is there anything, Cody, that you wish I would have asked you today <laughs> that, that I haven't yet? You know what? As many times as I've watched your show, I've heard that question again and again. I failed to prepare for that. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I don't know. I, you do a good job, Chris. I, I'll be honest. That's the reason I've watched your shows because you, I've listened to a lot of different podcasts. I don't know if you ever listened to, I can't remember the name of it. The gentleman's name's Guy Raz. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, gosh, what is, it's not how it's made, how I built this, how, how I built yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does a very, very, very good job of asking just really good questions. And to me, that's the definition or, or the secret sauce, if you will, of a good show. Um, because you're thinking, man, I would ask that same thing. So I think you do that very well. So no, I, if, if I did have a question, it'd probably mean you didn't do your job right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Guy Raz is an excellent, uh, excellent podcast. I need to find a way to get his production budget at some point. Yeah, that'd be, a little that'd bit larger, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully this this keeps growing as well. I've got aspirations on my end too. So we'll, uh, we'll see where things go. In the meantime, Cody, where's the best spot to connect with you and Everyday Technologies? I would say probably LinkedIn. Uh, so Cody Lee, Everyday, Te Everyday Technologies um, would probably be the best spot to hit me up. You can DM me or leave me a message there. So, Excellent. And I will have links to all of that in the show notes, how to connect with you, your company. In the meantime, I just want to say, Cody, thanks so much for jumping on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Hey, thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to connect with Cody, you can find all the links that he mentioned that we mentioned throughout the episode over at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 115. There's also a great article over there about Cody's journey buying everyday technologies if you want to dive into even more of the details, plus a link to the bar in Sydney, Ohio, Cody was telling us about called Murphy's Craft Bar and Kitchen, which by the way, I took a look at that. That place looks freaking awesome. I definitely want to go there at some point. Looks delicious, looks good, looks like my kind of vibe. Anyway, we talked a little bit about how you go about buying a company in this episode, but we really didn't get into many of the details around that process. You know, one thing I'd like to hear from you is if you're interested in hearing an episode about how Cody bought Everyday Technologies, kind of like a step-by-step -step on how to buy a manufacturing company, well, hey, let us know. A great place to start that discussion would be over in the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community, which lives over on LinkedIn. It's our private group. There are over 600 leaders in there. Told you about it at the start of the episode, but if you've forgotten, just head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community, send me a message on LinkedIn, and request to join today. And that's it for my call to action this week. Hey, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again here next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour, powered by the Industrial Network.